This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Good. Well, it's good to be at High Desert Word Center on Sunday night, isn't it? Well, you didn't make it sound that good. I said, it's good to be at High Desert Word Center on a Sunday night. <laughs> there we go. Need a little excitement. All right, very good. Well, tonight we got a, a message that I wanted to share with you, just something that Jesus said. And it's out of John chapter 16, so in a minute we're going to turn there. But the title tonight is this, Be of Good Cheer, I Have Overcome the World. That sounds like pretty good news, doesn't it? These are words of Jesus. These are words in red. He said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And I think a lot of times, you know, we know... That God has overcome the world. We know that Jesus is always there for us. We know that he's the way, the truth and the life. We know these things. But in the heat of battle and the day of trouble and the moment, sometimes we lose sight of this basic fact. We start to let the cares and the troubles overtake us and we're not being of good cheer. We're full of, you know, we're full of turmoil and anxiety. That's not what God wants for us. And as we get into this, I just want to show you this little book from the bookstore. It's called Casting Your Cares Upon the Lord by Brother Hagen. Awesome little book. And uh, and it goes along with what we're talking about tonight. But Casting Your Cares Upon the Lord. And so I'm encouraging you tonight that if you have been going through something, if you've been kind of facing a trial, kind of facing a test, You've got to know how to be of good cheer, even during the trial, even during the test. And I'm going to show you why you can be of good cheer. And the, the reason is because Jesus himself said, I have overcome this world. So I want you to open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 16. And we're going to look at verse 33. John 16, verse 33. Amen. Amen. All right. Where's all those young adults that are always in here screaming their heads off on Sunday nights? <laughs> John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm going to read this out of the New King James, but but Jesus, he's a straight shooter. He's not going to lie to you. He, he's got he, he he brings it hot and heavy right here. Verse 33 he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He said in me. You may have peace. Who in here would like to have peace? You are not going to find it anywhere else in this world. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in another person. You're not going to find it in a job or a school. Or if you move someplace to get away from your problems, you're not going to find it there. The only place you will find peace is in Jesus. And he said, I've I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. Why? Because in the world you will have tribulation. Has anyone noticed that? Are there any human beings here that reside on planet Earth? I am one of them. Yes, greetings, earthlings. I, 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 I reside on planet Earth, and in this world I have noticed that there is tribulation. There is trial, there is occasionally trouble, and storms of life that try to come against you. And it's no surprise, Jesus said this would happen. He never said you will never, ever have any tribulation in this world. It's smooth sailing from here on out, buddy. No, he said, listen, I'm telling you about me because in me you'll have peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome this world. 
That's the good news that no tribulation, no trouble we run into is going to be greater than Jesus because Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already the answer to that problem. There are problems that maybe haven't even been invented yet. And Jesus is already the answer to them. Have you noticed how much, I mean, if you blink your eyes, technology's changed. I mean, if you, if you go to sleep and wake up from your nap, there's a new iPhone. If you, if you, if, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, everything I own's outdated. Eh, things change by the second. Listen, there are, there are things that, you know, issues that we face today that, you know, overall that they didn't even, couldn't have even dreamed of a hundred years ago. But listen, Jesus is the answer yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what the trouble is, no matter what problem can come your way, He's already overcome the world 2,000 years ago. Amen? And so, this is something that we've got to get a hold of. And you got to be of good cheer. So, Number one tonight is this. Number one, the world that represents trouble. When Jesus says, I've overcome this world, the world here, that represents trouble. And the reason this world gives us such trouble is because of the guy running the world. I mean, most of you know this already, but God is not in charge of the whole world. <clears throat> we, you should know this. God is not in charge of the whole world. And I'm going to show you two places and I did to prove that point, but there's many others. But Satan is currently in charge of this world. Okay, write this down. Second Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan is the God, small g, not capital G, lowercase g. Satan is the God of this world. And why, why is that? Why is Satan in charge of this world? Well, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1. But check it out. He put Adam in charge of things. He's like, hey, you're going to you're going to run it down here. He gave him dominion over this earth. But as we know, Adam didn't do a very good job controlling things. You know, the serpent came and lied to him and Adam sold out. Adam gave away his rights. Adam sold sold us all out. The entire human race. He sold us out to, to the authority of the, of the wicked one of the devil. And because of that, since Adam's time, every single person born into this world has what we call a sin nature, right? You're, you're, I mean, it's just natural. Every human being, we start off good, but we eventually start doing sinful and stupid things. I mean, you know, you see it in, in our kids. They're innocent. They don't know any better. But they all of a sudden, they reach a certain age, and the human nature just kicks in. And they start telling little lies. So, you know, we've all done it. They start, you know, they, they smack their brother. They, they do little things they, they shouldn't be doing because the sin nature kicks in. But the good news is that Jesus has overcome the world. And so as a Christian, we are born again. We have a new nature. He's washed us white as snow. He's, he's cleaned us up and given us a new start. But the truth of the matter is this, is that this world is under the control of the wicked one at this point in time. And you don't have to look very far to see that. Go home tonight, turn on the news. You'll see the works of the enemy all over the world. You'll see, I mean, go turn on the local 10 o'clock news. I mean, uh, you'll see someone probably unfortunately got shot somewhere. You'll see somebody got robbed. Somebody did this. Somebody was fighting somebody else. People hated. I mean, all this crazy stuff. And why is that? Because this world is under the control of the wicked one. Second Corinthians 4, 4 literally says Satan is currently temporarily the God of this world. Now, 
the Greek word used in, in John 16, for world is this world cosmos, which primarily refers to the people of the world. The people of the world. And, and have, it, have any of the people of the world, the earth's inhabitants, ever given you any trouble? They give me trouble. I've, I've ran into plenty of these people. I mean, they're everywhere. They're nuts. And I love them. But, you know, there, there's, there's all, all, everywhere you go, man, that, listen, people constantly, and, and, and I myself have given people trouble. We've all done it. But listen to me. If you're not careful, you'll start to identify people as being your problem. You'll say, oh, oh, the problem's Susan. She, she's mean. She does it to me. It's Susan. And, and, and uh, no, Susan's not really my problem, so don't, don't think that, but she's an example. And so if you're not careful, you'll see somebody that you're upset at. And you're like, well, that's my problem right there. If it weren't for her, I'd have no problem. And what you don't realize is that human beings are never the root problem. Okay? We live in a world that is under control of the enemy. And there's a lot of people, especially someone that's not born again, absolutely they're going to give you trouble. No doubt about it. They don't have a born again nature on the inside of them. They, they, they don't have anything compelling them to obey God. You know, there's not a whole lot of unsaved, you know, non-born again Christians going around trying to tell me the good news and trying to witness to me. I mean, I've never had that happen. Okay. They're not compelled. They don't have anything on the inside of them. In fact, the scriptures tells us that before you were born again on the inside, you're dead. You are spiritually dead on the inside until you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then he brings life to you. Right. I'm not making this up. All right. And so on the inside, you're spiritually dead. And of course, I mean, someone that's spiritually dead, they don't have any moral sense. They don't have any right from wrong. They're going to go around, I mean, obviously doing things that are going to trip you up and, and cause you some trouble. And, and I've, I've told you the story that, you know, one guy I worked with when I worked at FedEx, every day he gave me trouble. Every single day. I would go in and, and he'd be, you know, he made fun of me and my beliefs and, 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 and just constant trouble. And after a while, I'm like, man, I'm so tired of this guy. I can't stand him. I don't want to work with him anymore. I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. And I was getting mad at him. And I didn't, I was, every time I'd stumble, oh, there's John again. And I'm getting all mad and everything. Then finally one day, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm driving into work and, and I'm thinking, man, I hope John's not being himself today. And all of a sudden it dawns on me. John is not the problem. John is, I mean, John's way out in left field anyway. He, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but he, he's out there trying to mess my day up every day. But John is not the problem. It's the devil working through John to try to trip me up and intimidate me and make me not want to tell people about Jesus anymore because John's going to make fun of me. And so on the way to work, I was like, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus from working through John. You're not going to do this anymore. I declare in the name of Jesus that John's going to be a sweet little angel and, and we're going to get along. And honest to God, from that day forward, this man was the nicest person I've ever met. He loved me and, and he did every I mean, this guy, we became good friends and, and I witnessed to him a lot. I didn't quite ever get to lead him all the way. But I believe the seeds I planted are still there and hopefully he received Jesus. But but I'm telling you, if I had just got mad at John and just thought, oh, he's it. My problem in this world is that man right there. If I had fallen for that trap. 
I would have been totally ineffective at ever witnessing at that place. I would have just shut up. I would have, I mean, the devil would have shut me down and I would have that whole time not even realized who the real enemy was. And so some people, uh, even Christians, people that claim to be Christians, if they aren't submitting to God, they're liable to do anything. I'm going to show you here Galatians chapter 5. This is called the works of the flesh. You're probably familiar with Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, that's called the fruit of the Spirit. And that shows us what happens when the Holy Spirit controls somebody's life. When the Holy Spirit controls you, you've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You, you've got these this fruit that is just evident, man. I should be able to look at someone and say, oh yeah, she's a Christian. She's got love. She's got joy and peace. She's patient. I mean, no doubt about it. That's a Christian right there. No doubt about it. But on the other hand, Paul also lists uh, this stuff called the the works of the flesh or you could call it the fruit of the flesh galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 now i warn you ahead of time this is not a very fun thing to read this isn't uplifting and encouraging don't put this on your refrigerator or t-shirt nobody wants to see this galatians 5 19 when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear sexual immorality impurity Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Woo! Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anybody living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a very pleasant list to look at. at all. I mean, nobody wants to look at that type of stuff. But check it out. That's the manifestation. That is the product. That is the proof that somebody is not living for the Lord. I mean, if I see somebody that's controlled by outbursts of anger, we all get angry sometimes, okay? We, we get that. But a Christian should not be controlled by anger. Amen? You know, it says envying, dissension. I'm, Christians shouldn't have envying and, and dissension, arguing. Uh, we all we all have moments, but again, we should not be somebody that goes around arguing with other people all the time. That is a work of the flesh. That is fruit of the flesh. And so right there it says, oh, that's, that's not a Christian. That's anyone living like that. It's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness, wild parties, and, and pure, all this stuff. Listen to me. That is what happens when somebody is letting, you know, let's just put it bluntly, Satan control their flesh. Satan be in control of their lives. And this is the type of stuff that we see. And so no doubt about it, in our lives, we have to get to the place where we can identify, okay, What's the root cause of this trouble right here? And if you look down deep, it's not a person. It's the devil working through either an unsubmitted to God person or a flat out unsaved person. They're just obeying whatever their flesh tells them. They're obeying whatever their master tells them because Peter told us that you're a slave to whatever controls you. And so there are people that are slaves to a whole lot of things. Besides God. And it's not pretty, but it's no wonder that they do a lot of the things 
that they do. And so we have to be able to identify it. And and I think that the devil uses other people so effectively against us because we fall for it time and time and time again. Most of us, whenever sickness comes, you know, most most people, if you've been in the good church for a while, you, you instantly know, oh, this is this is of the devil. This, God didn't make me sick. Most people, at least in a church like this, they get sick. They have no doubt about it. Oh, God didn't put this on me. It's the devil. But on the other hand, most of those same people, whenever somebody makes them mad at work or they're having issues with another person, 90% of the time, they just get mad at the person and want something bad to happen to that person. They don't do the same thing and say, oh, no, this is just a symptom of the root problem. When we're sick, we say, oh, this is just a symptom of the devil. This is a root, the root problem is, is the devil. We need to get as wise about fighting with other people as we are about sickness and say, Josh isn't my problem, okay? <laughs> it's the devil controlling him. No. <laughs> Have I ever told you this, the rubbing alcohol story? This is a good time for that. Some of you have heard this. Prime example. So me and Josh, when we were, I don't know, I was probably about six and seven, we decided it was WWF time. We were going to, you know, get in there and wrestle. And so for some reason, it made perfect sense to wrestle on top of the entertainment center. I don't know why, but that just seemed like the best place. And so sure enough, we're wrestling. Josh goes in for the choke slam. And then uh, anyway, he, but whatever happened, he shoved me. And on the corner of the entertainment center, I went all the way down my back, went, <laughs> and I had a wide open gaping wound all the way down the, my back. And so Josh, being the loving brother he is, didn't want to get a whipping by mom and dad. And so he says, okay, don't tell mom and dad. I'm going to fix this. Just follow me. And I'm like, okay, are you sure? I don't know. And so I follow him to the bathroom. He, he opens up the cabinet and gets out a bottle of rubbing alcohol. He's like, okay, hold still. This won't hurt a bit. And so... He takes this bottle of rubbing alcohol, dumps it down my back, and I'm like, ah! Oh my gosh. I've had spinal taps that didn't hurt as bad as that. And that's not a joke. That hurt bad. That was the worst pain of my life. So anyway, I was, I was like, the devil made you do that. No, he, he chose to do that, but anyway, you know, stuff like that. You gotta forgive. You gotta forgive. But I will never forget. So, anyway. <laughs> Where were we? So if you get, if you focus on other people, listen, that you're falling exactly, you're playing into the devil's trap time and time again, and no wonder your faith doesn't work, because Galatians 5, 6 says what, church family? Faith works by love. And if you're mad at people all the time, and you're walking in anger and hostility and hatred and, and being mean and mad at everybody, no wonder Things aren't working in your life like they're supposed to because your faith is not working. Because this whole time you're, you've got you've got your 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 sights set on other people. And what Corinthians tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What does that mean? That we don't use natural weapons to fight the enemy. You can't shoot the devil with a gun. We would have done that years ago if we could have. You got to use spiritual weapons. It says they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. And so we have to realize that 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 people they aren't the problem. The devil is the problem. And Jesus said, "Be of good cheer. I've overcome this world." So the second thing I want to tell you is this. Number 2 is that Jesus has overcome every problem in the world. Now, that may sound cliche and like, well, yeah, we all know that, but let it sink in, people. 
Jesus has overcome every possible problem that this world can throw at you. If you've got a health problem, he's already got an answer. If you've got a relationship problem, he's already got an answer. You've got a money problem, he's already got an answer. You've got a work problem, a job problem, you know, a puppy problem, whatever your problems are, Jesus already has the answer to whatever it is. And I really believe that a lot of times we forget this amazing fact, so we try to fix our problems ourselves. Is anybody else guilty of this one? Come on, I know. There's come on. Thank you. Yes. We some I you know, I can read this verse all day long and I could walk into any church in America and say, Jesus is the answer to every problem. Oh, amen, I know it. He's got the answer, brother. Oh yeah. Listen, if we really comprehended that, we would quit trying to handle everything in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own way. We would we would go to God first with any problem. If we needed money, we wouldn't say, how am I going to make more money? How am I going to solve this? How am I? We'd say, God, show me the game plan. God, what do I need to do? You would go to God first instead of looking to yourself. What does it say? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. But a lot of times we are not doing the basics. We're not doing the basics. And and a lot, you know, so many times when we're having issues in life, we're studying the deep things and like there's got to be some deep hidden meaning somewhere. There's got to be. And a lot of times it's just something so basic. I found out most of the time if I'm having trouble with an electronic device, nine times out of ten, if I just reset it, it'll work again. Amen, computer guys, you know, or, or how many times have you been trying, oh, this thing, it, it just won't turn on, and it wasn't plugged in or something. I mean, it's something silly, and a lot of times in our faith life, it's just something basic that we've lost sight of. You've just totally forgotten to seek God first. You've totally forgotten that there's a problem comes your way, and you're sitting there worrying all night long, oh my God, what am I going to do? I, gotta, I need to call people, I need, I need to, I, need, I, I got to figure this out, and you didn't even talk to God about it first. Listen, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus is and has the answer to every problem we could ever come against. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now, here's a good one. I mean, and I say that a lot, but this is a good one. This is a good one. John chapter 14. And we're going to look at verse 30. John 14, verse 30. But this is the gospel. This is the good news right here. John chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus is talking to the disciples here. And, you know, pretty soon he's going to be going to the cross and all that stuff. But look at John 14, verse 30. He says, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. So, yeah, he's like, who is he referring to here? The devil. What did Jesus call the devil? The ruler of this world. Just like 2 Corinthians 4, 4 said, Satan is the God of this world. Jesus said, the ruler of this world approaches, but he has no power over me. That's good news right there. Wouldn't it be mad if Jesus said, I don't have much more time to rule this world's approaches. Oh, he said, but he has no power over me. That's good news right there. 
that Jesus, as he already said, has already overcome this world. And, and, and Jesus said, Satan, he's the ruler of this world right now, but he has no power over me. And you got to think about this, that Jesus, oh, I said he's the answer to every problem. Jesus is even the answer to death. Now, the scripture tells us that death is the last enemy that will be defeated. We will face death until that time that Jesus comes and, and ends this whole, you know, this whole thing. But at the same time, Jesus is even the answer to death. And I want to show you something in John chapter 11. So just flip back a couple pages. You're already in chapter 14. It's not going to hurt you. Just flip back to chapter 11. It's no big deal. Nothing weird is going to happen. John chapter 11, verse 38. This is the story of Jesus and one of his good friends, Lazarus. Now, if you're familiar with this story, Jesus has, uh, has a good friend named Lazarus. And he has a couple sisters named Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, unfortunately, died way before his time. He was a young man. Lazarus dies and Jesus wasn't able to get there in time. And so Jesus, he, he shows up on the scene and everything, and, and he's like, guys, don't worry about it, I got this. And Martha, one of the sisters, is like, he's already dead. And Jesus says, no, he will live again. She says, I know he'll rise again at the last day, but I want him here now. And Jesus says, Martha, stop it. I am the resurrection and the life. I'll take care of this. And so everybody, I mean, people are crying, everybody's sad, Lazarus is dead, it's a bad day, he's already buried, they, they wrapped him up in grave clothes so like a mummy, and they put him in this tomb, and, and all this stuff, it was just a really bad situation, and if, every, if anything ever looked hopeless, this looked hopeless, the man had been dead for four days, that's pretty much at that point in time, you can normally say, I think this is it. I think that it's, it's, it's over with. This is, that's it. Lazarus is gone. So John chapter 11, starting here at verse 38, Jesus rolls up onto the scene and it says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Well, why was Jesus mad? Was he mad at Lazarus? No. Was he mad at everybody else? No. Jesus was mad because the devil came in and stole one of his friends way before his time. And Jesus wasn't going to put up with that. Jesus didn't focus on getting mad at other people. Jesus came in and destroyed some works of the enemy. So John chapter 11, he says, so he, he's angry. He rolls up to this, this tomb with a, with a stone rolled across the front of it. And Jesus walks up and says, roll a stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord... He's been dead for four days. The smell's going to be terrible. Are you serious, Martha? The, the, that, that's your biggest concern? You've got Jesus on the scene and you're worried about the smell? Calm down, sister. So look at this. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father... Thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they'll believe you sent me. I mean, so Jesus had no uh, issues with God hearing him, but he, as he says right here, I'm saying this so all these people will know that I'm, you know, you, you hear me. And he keeps talking. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. 
his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Whoa. Jesus has power over death. Incredible. And can you imagine this? You're here at this scene. The man's been dead four days. And Jesus walks up and he's like, Lazarus, get out of there. And they roll this. And, and this guy, can you imagine being this? This guy walking out like a mummy, wrapped head to toe. Wouldn't that just be the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life? And the Jesus says, come on, let him go. And so they start taking the stuff off. And I mean, boom, there's Lazarus. Whoa. That's incredible. And this is the same Jesus that we serve today. Did Jesus change and nobody sent me the memo? Jesus doesn't change people. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus Christ of Nazareth that raised Lazarus from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that I talk to every single day. The same Jesus that himself was nailed to a cross, died, put in a tomb. They rolled a stone across. They put soldiers in front of it. The same Jesus that bust out of that cave, that came back to life, is the same Jesus of 2017. Hasn't changed one bit, not one lick. He didn't upgrade. He didn't change to the iOS 11.5, whatever. Jesus has never needed an update. Jesus has never needed to change, because I've said this before, if you're perfect, what are you going to change to? What's there to go to? If, 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 if you are already perfect, what could you possibly change to that's going to be any better? There is nothing better than the Jesus that you have that's living on the inside of you. He's the exact same Jesus as that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same Jesus that prayed for the blind people. The same Jesus that made the lame walk. The same Jesus that cast devils out. The same Jesus that raised the dead. It's the same Jesus. And he said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. That's the gospel. That's the good news is that Jesus already provided the way for us. Amen. And not only is Jesus able to help you, Jesus is willing to help you. Jesus wants to help you. Flip over to Matthew 8. Jesus wants to help you now. Now. Imagine that you had some ailment, some sickness, and, and I refer you, I'm like, you need to go see my doctor. This guy, I had the exact same thing, and he took care of me. He got it taken care of. And so you go to, you go to my doctor, and you're like, hey, I've got this going on. Can you, are you able to do anything about this? Yeah, man, I'm able. I, I, I help people with that thing every single day. But I'm not willing to help you. I'm totally able. Yeah, I, I got the stuff. I just don't want to help you. Like, wouldn't that just, I mean, that would, that would just put you in the pits, wouldn't it? I, if like, you came to the guy with the answers, the one that's helped so many other people, but he just wasn't willing to help you out. Wouldn't that be bad? That'd be, that'd be awful. What if you, you know, your car broke down and, and, and fortunately a mechanic drives by and he's like, oh, hey, I'm a mechanic. What's going on there? Oh yeah, I see what your problem is. Oh, you do? Are you able to, yeah, I'm able to fix that. Could you help me? No, I don't want to. What? What in the world? And as dumb as that sounds, there's a lot of people that think about Jesus that way. 
Oh, I know he's able to do anything, man. I just don't think he's willing this time. I don't know if it's his will. I honestly, I don't know if it's will this time. Well, sometimes, brother, the answer is no. Show me that one. Show me the scripture where it says sometimes the answer is no. I haven't seen it. All I've seen is all the promises of God are yes and amen. All I've seen is every single time Jesus came up to somebody and they said, can you help me? Absolutely, I can. Are you you could you could heal me if you're willing. Oh, I'm willing. And I'm going to show you this. Matthew chapter eight, verses two and three. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Notice right there that Jesus said, I am willing. This was not the only time in the Gospels where this exact scenario happened. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John time and time and time again. People come up and say, Lord, I know you can heal me if if it's your will. 100% of the time, there was not one time recorded in Scripture. Not one where Jesus said, it's not my will to heal you. Why in the world then do we question whether it's God's will to do what he promised to do? Why do we question that? Why do we say, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know if it's God's will. The answer may be no on this one. Maybe he just, maybe he doesn't want to help me out this time. If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why did he want to help every single one of these people, but he doesn't want to help you? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That, 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 that doesn't make any sense. If that's the way that it is, if he'd wanted to help those people and every single one, there was not one that he ever said, it's not my will. How come he would tell you, uh, it's not my will, it's, it's not for you, man. Those things have passed away. I'm, I'm not going to do that. That would make him a liar. That would make Hebrews 13.8 a flat-out lie if Jesus changed and now he doesn't like to help people out anymore. But the good news is he didn't change. The good news is be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. That's the good news tonight. And we've got to get a hold of this. And I mean, you have to get so sold on the fact that it is God's will to help you out. And when he said, I've overcome the world, you've got to know that he meant that. He said, in me, you will have peace. In this world, oh, you'll you'll have tribulation, all right, but be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. And I'm telling you this much. Jesus wants to be the answer to your problems. He is the answer. He just wants you to receive it and he wants you to live for him. And when you do, things fall into place. Amen. (laughs) Things, they just have a way. He brings them into place and things work out. But you've got to do things his way. And I'm telling you this much. You're not going to find one place in scripture where Jesus told somebody, it's not my will to help you out. Not this time. I, I, I want you to be blind. I want you to be sick. I want you to be depressed. I want you to have no joy. I, I want you to, I want your family to split apart. I don't want to help you. I, I want, you. no, not one time. It's incredible. How did we screw things up so bad where there's actually people that believe God doesn't want to help them? And they heard it from a church. They heard it from a preacher somewhere. That's messed up. That's not what God wants. He wants to help us. And so I want to bring you down to number three here tonight. Point number three. And that's this. Be of good cheer. Amen. 
We need some Christians to be of good cheer and, 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 and quit being of major depression. Quit being of major sorrow and sadness. And we need to be of good cheer. And this is what Jesus told us to do. And I mean, I, I know a lot of Christians may say, I already know that scripture. It says, you know, he's already overcome the world. But you missed the first part. He said, be of good cheer. You need to obey that. You need to, you need to listen to that. As a Christian, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Christians should have joy. Now, I'm fully aware that there are some people that are just extremely, insanely happy by nature. I don't get those people, but I know some people that they are so happy that it's almost irritating, okay? I get that. Totally get that. But every Christian is supposed to walk in the joy of the Lord. Now, I myself am a morning person, and you can ask Katie and the kids, I can occasionally be irritating in the mornings because I'm in such a good mood. I, I wake up in an extremely good mood. I don't know, but I'm just, I love the mornings. The earlier, the better. I love to get up. And, and man, if I've had Jesus time and a great cup of coffee, I can, I'm just, I'm on cloud nine. Me and Sam, Sam's the same way. Sam wakes up and his eyes open up and a smile appears and Sam just wakes up laughing and he stays that way till he goes to bed pretty much. He's the happiest person I've ever met and he's one years old. But anyway, so there's, I get it. Some people are just naturally and some people are more reserved and quiet. Totally get that. No issue there. But we're all called to have the joy of the Lord. And so Jesus told us, be of good cheer. So have some joy, Mr. Christian. Have some joy. Smile every now and then. Get excited. Because joy doesn't depend on your circumstances. Uh, well, I'd be happy if, if I had the money I needed. I'd be real happy. You're not getting it. I, I'd be super happy if I'd have to put up with this jerk every day. I'd be real happy. if. <laughs> Would you shut up? Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. It's a spiritual truth. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a spiritual inner condition. Happiness, and I've preached this a million times. A lot of you have heard that. But happiness is just totally dependent upon whatever's going on around you. I mean, you know, you give me my favorite food. I'm really happy. You take it away. I get sad instantly. Why? Because my happiness was totally dependent upon what was in front of me. You know, I, if, if things are going my way, I'm having a great day. My sports team wins. I'm happy. If they lose, I'm really mad. Listen, that, that's emotions. Joy, it, it keeps you pumped up and lifted up no matter what's going on. I mean, I've seen people, they just lost their job and they walk out smiling. And you're like, what's going on? Well, they got the joy of the Lord. It didn't even phase them. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll get another job. No, no, no problem. Not worried about that. I mean, they could have just got a bad report from the doctor. They leave the office skipping. They, you know, the, the, they get something happen and, and, and they're in a bad spot. And you would never even be able to tell about it because they've got the joy of the Lord. And, 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 and Nehemiah 8.10, you could write this down, tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The strongest people I know, not by coincidence, are also always the most joyful people I know. I don't know any strong Christians that don't have joy. Every single strong Christian I know, they're a joyful person. I mean, sure, they have troubles come to them, but they don't go in the dumps and want to blow the whole thing up and I hate my life. And bleh. No, no that they maintain their joy because Christians 
should have joy. It's the fruit of the spirit. In fact, it's the second one listed. We should have joy. And so I want to show you a story in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. This is the Apostle Paul. And here's a man that was a, a very mature spiritual person. And he walked in the fruit of the spirit. And no doubt about it, he had joy. So Acts chapter 27 and, and during this story, Paul is a prisoner uh, on board a ship. He's headed to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And so God warns him that a bad storm is going to come while you're while, while you're out here. And but but don't worry, nobody's going to die. In fact, an angel appeared to him. And so he tells the sailors about it on the ship. He's like, and uh, the Lord told me that there's going to be a really bad storm that's going to take place. And they're like, yeah, right. You're a prisoner. What do you know? And so they totally ignore him. They think he's making the whole thing up. They ignore him. But sure enough, Acts chapter 27, a terrible storm comes and it's rocking this boat up and down. In fact, it says the storm was so bad they didn't even see the sun for several days. That's a bad storm. When I mean the sun is totally blocked for several days and you're out in the middle of the ocean on an old wooden ship up and down, up and down. Can you imagine the seasickness? Can you imagine how bad this would be? You're on an old wooden ship, man. I mean, just getting tossed everywhere. The ship's getting beat up and all this stuff. And so they're out there. But look what Paul does. He walks up to the sailors a few days into the storm. Acts chapter 27, verse 25. I'm going to read this out of the King James. Paul comes up to the, the, the prison guards, the sailors, and he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. And so he comes up and, and these guys, they're probably sick. They're, they're probably, I mean, several days they're out there. And here comes Paul. Hey, guys, be of good cheer. I come in peace. And, and they're like, who is somebody shut the preacher? This guy's really getting annoying by this point, because you can imagine. I can guarantee you during this whole time, Paul was not sitting there crying. Paul was not sitting there like, oh, man, my life stinks. No, oh, I shouldn't be in this spot. I just wanted to preach about Jesus. And here I am. No one likes me, man. Everyone picks on me. I trouble trouble. He wasn't there complaining, throwing a fit, throwing a tantrum. Paul lived the joy of the Lord more than any person I've ever read about. And so. Three or four days into this storm, people sick, people passed out, all kinds of stuff. Paul walks up to them and says, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. And I can guarantee you he had a smile on his face when he said it. He said, listen, it's going to be just like the angel told me. We're not going to die. In fact, the angel told them, you guys are going to get shipwrecked on an island. And so they get shipwrecked on an island. And amazing things happen there on the on the island. And, and in fact... Uh, you can read the story, Acts 27, but Paul is putting some sticks on the fire. Remember this? And a snake jumps out and latches onto his arm and it's a poisonous snake. Anyone remember this? And Paul's like, no, oh, it's a snake and shakes it off and walks off. And all the all the native island people are like, oh, my God. That snake bit him. This snake kills everyone. And and nothing happened to Paul. They're, they're all sitting around waiting for him to die. Like, oh, my God, he's going to die. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. And Paul is just sitting there. You know, with his joyful self, and he doesn't die. And the people are like, he must be a god. 
And so Paul's like, no, I'm not a God. And he preaches to all of them. Great story. You read it for yourself on your own time. But anyway, the angel tells them, man, you're going to have a shipwreck. You're going you're gonna to be on this island and all this stuff. But listen, no one's going to die. There will be no loss of life. And so Paul tells all the guys this, and it all happens. But listen to me. How could Paul be of good cheer in this type of situation? He must have at some point read John 16, read John 14, where Jesus said, be a good cheer. I've overcome this world. And Paul was just doing what we should do, be doing because Paul trusted that God meant what he said. Do you believe that Jesus meant what he said? No, really, I'm, I'm for real. Do you truly believe when Jesus said, in me you'll have peace. In this world there's tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you honestly believe that? Or is that just inspiration that was printed for us? Do you honestly believe it? Because why was Paul so successful? He took Jesus at his word. That was good enough for him. He walked by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5.7 And we've got to get to this place where, it, listen to me, don't lose this. Where you're in the middle of a storm, but you're like, well, you know what? I'm not going to let it get to me. The word of God says I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. That's good enough for me. That's all I need. Jesus gave me his word. That's, that's all I need. I don't need any other signs. I don't need any other outside confirmations. I don't need anything else. I've got the word. Jesus said I, I'm more than a conqueror. He said I can do all things. I'm, I'm good enough. That's all I need. When you can get to that level where you don't need anything else except the Word of God, watch out. You are going to be a giant for Jesus. You're going to be a devil butt-kicking, I mean, giant-slaying. You're going to be a beast spiritually when you get to the place where you don't need any other signs. And, you know, signs are good. They happen. But a bunch of people came to Jesus one day and said, Hey, prove to us that you're really the Son of God by giving us a sign. He's like, All right, I'll give you a sign. How about the sign of the prophet Jonah? You guys are all evil. You adulterous vipers. You brood of snakes. And he starts saying all this mean stuff to him. And he's like, I'm not going to give you a sign to prove that I'm God. You either believe that I'm real or you don't. But I am not going to just give you some sign just so you'll believe in me. And and it's great. He does signs. He does miracles. And and yes, those are awesome. But you should not be the type of person that says, I'll believe if I see a miracle. I'll believe if I see it, because that's not faith. Faith is believing without seeing. You need to be, I've seen miracles. I've seen them. I've experienced them. I've had them. You know, I've healed of leukemia and cancer and everything. Uh, so absolutely, I believe. But I've got enough faith in the Word of God that if I never see a miracle again until I go to heaven, I'm not going to quit believing in Jesus. Because His Word is good enough for me. That's, that's, that's good enough. It's, it's bailed me out. It's saved me enough times. I don't need anything else it's great. I love miracles. I love this stuff. I believe in them. And yeah, we're supposed to expect them. But I don't have to have those for me to believe that Jesus is real. I, be, I believe in them anyway. And so that's the type of people we have to be. Uh, one last thing, and then I'll let you go. One, I'm just going to show you this. Psalm 34. As we close out here, Psalm 34. But you've got to get to the place where God's word is good enough for you. You've got to get to that place. That's where. That's why Paul wasn't messed up. Whenever he was shipwrecked, that's why Paul wasn't messed up when they stoned him and killed him. That's why Paul wasn't messed up when he got beat up all the time, because he just lived by the word of God. He walked by faith, not by sight. 
Psalm 34, verses 5 through 8. Psalm 34 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I can guarantee you, if you will start your day with Psalm 34, you're going to have a really awesome, incredible day. Read other scriptures too, but Psalm 34 is awesome. Psalm 34, verses 5 through 8. And this is something that David wrote during a bad time. He was running from King Saul, and he, in fact, Saul had caught up with him, and so he pretended like he was an insane person, and he was he was acting crazy and drooling on himself and stuff to try to, I mean, so Paul was not, or excuse me, David was not in a great spot during this season of life when he wrote Psalm 34. But look at verses, starting at verse 5, he says, Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. That sounds like something that I want. I want to be radiant with joy. I want no shadow of shame to darken my face. And that sounds like somebody that is being of good cheer. Just like Jesus said, David says, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all of my troubles for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. That's good stuff right there. Amen. And so I'm just encouraging us tonight. Get a hold of what we're talking about. Be of good cheer. In Jesus, you can have peace. Yes, there's troubles in this world, but don't worry about it because Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already the answer to any problems that you will ever face. So quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to be your own answer. Quit trying to be your own provider, your own healer, your own, you know, your own savior. Knock that off and just totally rely on Jesus and watch what he can do in your life. You will have peace. If you'll do it his way. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and in there tonight. Let's stand up. together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.